spend several weeks in the study of Mark, I want you to turn to John in chapter 12. This is the complementary scripture of the time that we were in. It's interesting to me that we were studying Mark, we have been studying Mark, and the passage from Mark leads to this time frame. It's a space in the book of Mark. John fills it in for us, what was going on, and it's on Sunday. That's the Sunday we ended up with today, so pretty interesting. John chapter 12, beginning... John or Mark? John chapter 12 and beginning of verse 12. Thank you. Now you folks look like you got up late. This is exciting stuff. <laughs> no, we've we've been in uh, we've been in Mark. This is the this fills in the gap of Mark that Mark didn't teach only recorded in the book of John. And so in the book of John, chapter 12, beginning of verse 12, it says, On the next day, much people that were come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took branches of palm trees and went forth to meet him and cried, Hosanna! Blessed is the King of Israel that cometh in the name of the Lord. And Jesus, when he found a young ass, sat thereon, as it was written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, thy king cometh, sitting on the ass's colt. And these things understood not the disciples at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then remembered they that these things were written of him, and that they had done these things unto him. And the people, therefore, that was with him, when he called Lazarus out of his grave, and raised him from the dead, bear record. For this cause the people also met him, for that they heard that he had done this miracle. The Pharisees therefore said amongst themselves, Perceive ye how ye prevail nothing? Behold, the world has gone after him. And there were certain Greeks among them that came up to worship at the feast, and the same came therefore to Philip, which was of Bethsaida. Galilee, and desiring him, saying, Sir, we would see Jesus. Philip cometh and tells Andrew, and again, Andrew and Philip tell Jesus. And Jesus answered them, saying, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. He that loveth his life shall lose it, and he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. If any man serve me, let him follow me. And where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, oh, listen carefully now. If any man serve me, him will my Father honor. Can you imagine that? Honor to God. Honor to God. Pray with me this morning. Father, we thank you for this hour. We thank you for the day. It's a beautiful day. Lord, it's your day. And we thank you for it. We thank you for recording the words you would have us to know. We thank you, Father, for your glory. 
for your majesty. We thank you for being the eternal God who did come and die in our place that we might be with you for all eternity. Father, whosoever will, whosoever will may come. And we thank you for that. And so as we look into your word this morning, we just pray that your spirit move freely among us. The thoughts and the cares of this life, the thoughts of the rest of the day would just be pushed away for this hour that we might concentrate on you. Father, we pray this morning for the trouble that's going on in the world. We pray that your hand be seen very soon. We pray that by Resurrection Sunday the world would know some things they have not known now. Father, trouble in the world. Richard is Bosnia. Richard. In Indonesia. Indonesia. Sorry. Uh, two churches there. Need your help. Uganda. And so, Father, we just know that around this world and in our days, you are so needed. Our prayer this morning in particular is that you would open the eyes and hearts and minds to your truth. And as we look into your word, that you would absolutely have your way with us. That you would be able to freely inspect us, and teach us, enlighten us, that we might know and we might love and we might be empowered by your spirit to do the things that you called us to do in our lifetime. It's most likely a hundred years from today, not one of us will be here. And what will we have done? What will we have left? What are we doing to the young of this world? Father, be with us now. Teach us and guide us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Mm -hmm. This passage... And I don't know if you ever heard of a chronological Bible. A lot of Bibles have, uh, Schofield does, why one of my favorites, the notes are not inspired. The Schofield Bible has headings uh, among many of the passages that tell you where to look in other places for the same idea or complementary text. And we find in this passage that Jesus was at the temple treasury he was outside the temple treasury and with his disciples after he had just pronounced woe after woe after woe on the Pharisees for their hypocritical behavior. Keeping people from the truth of the gospel. He was cast out. He had a price on his head at this time and he sat in the temple next to the treasury and he taught. And as they were casting in there up on this feast day now, the feast day you see in chapter well, here in verse 1, just six days before the Passover. Just six days before the Passover. We started in verse 12, and it says, on the next day. People were in town. They were in for the worship. And many of those who were rich, one time, they'd walk up and take all their abundance and put it into the temple treasury, and they wanted to be seen, and they made a show of it. And a woman, a widow, and Jesus, who had just come off of pronouncing these terrible judgments against the Pharisees for their religious hypocrisy. 
not only in their life, but they were blocking others from coming to the truth. And he just pronounced a woe that were incredible, damning them straight to hell if they didn't change. And he says to his disciples, see that woman there? Little widow woman? Probably trying to hide it so no one could see and she dropped in. He said she gave more than all the rest. He didn't say she gave more than everybody else. He said she gave more than all the rest because she gave from her need and her want. Here's what I want you to know. The Lord's watching and he's knowing and he's concerned about your heart. The Lord's watching today and he sees and he's concerned about your heart. And so that's what's happening. If you put the Gospels together, that's what's happening there. And while he's standing against the temple treasury, which is a fascinating idea, isn't he the treasure of the temple? He's standing against the treasury. The treasurer is standing there speaking. He said, guys, look at her. She gave over to everybody else. Probably embarrassed at what she could give the two mice. A little bit. Quarter of a penny. I don't know what it was. Very small amount. He said she, but she gave more than all the rest of them because she gave out of her need and her want, not out of her abundance. The Lord is so concerned with your heart today. And when you stand before him one day, and you will, that's going to be the topic. What think you of Christ? What did you do with me in your lifetime? Oh, the world gets busy. I want you to know something. I get busy, and I know you're busy. I know there are things in this world to occupy our time. And man, we go fast. We've got to keep it moving to keep it going. I know that. The Bible says in Luke chapter 4 that Jesus went to the temple on the Sabbath day, as his custom was, and stood up for to read from the Holy Scriptures. Was he busy? His only, I know your job is more important. His job was saving the world. But he came every Sabbath, as his custom was, and read in the temple. So we have this Christ shifting, this mood very quickly from this, what people would see as an anger, cursing, not with vulgarities, but cursing people to death and to hell if they don't change and stop blocking other people from the truth of the gospel. He comes in on this donkey, never been ridden before, and he presents himself as the king, and they proclaim it to be so. Hosanna to the king, the son of David. He, of course, is rejected when he gets there. He's rejected when he gets there, but this is the event. He's rejected as he is in our world today. I dare to say this, and I think you might believe me. If Christ taught in churches today, he wouldn't have a mega church, and he wouldn't be welcome in most pulpits. The Bible just simply is not what most people believe that it is. The Bible is not a pat on the back for you doing something good every now and then. The Bible doesn't say you can earn your way to heaven. It says you, you cannot earn your way to heaven. Teaching of many of the religions today in many churches is you can be good enough to go to heaven. You cannot. Our flesh, there is no good thing in our flesh. We go by salvation through Jesus Christ and his payment of 
our sins upon the cross by his death, or we don't go. Or we don't go. You want to be unpopular? Tell people you're not good enough to go to heaven. Tell people who think they're working their way to heaven that they're not good enough. And I'll tell you what, you're going to have an unpopular conversation. But it's the absolute truth. It's the absolute truth. Jesus came. If you could work your way to heaven, if we could be good enough to go to heaven, the cross would be nothing but child abuse from God the Father to his son. But it was not. It was not. And so we have these palms Sunday. We have these palms going down in front of Jesus. And today, the message is this. This is the title. If you have a title, I never do. But it would be this. Can you see Jesus? Can you? Been in ministry for 30 years, and before that, I was just a young Christian boy. So ignorant. You didn't believe in it. So ignorant of most things. Ignorant of what the Bible had to really say. Ignorant of what real life was about. Instructed at home, I believe, in very good things concerning how to live and how to do right. And, and very black and white home I come from. Instructed in what a man should be and what a woman should be and what, what right is and what wrong is. But one thing that was a failure in our home, as my estimation as a child is, we were not warned on what's out there. We were not warned about phony people. We were not warned about darkness in the world. We were not warned, I was not warned, of the motives and intentions of people. Save this, save this one statement from my father. He said, I don't know what's wrong with you, believing everybody is smiling at you. Most of them are just showing their teeth. Now, I want to say something to you. I didn't take that in well when I was a child. But as my sister grew up and were dating, and as my brother grew up and started dating, I didn't get that far before my parents were gone. But we didn't get the instruction of look at the home, look at the parents, be very careful at how they talk about their parents, be very careful about their worldview. Never got that instruction, never understood the darkness and hypocrisy that is in the world. And so many families fall because believing somebody is better than they truly are. People, do you know that people have their best manners on dates? And they seem to fall apart on honeymoons? People have their very best manners on dates. When you go out on a date, you got your, you're showing your best self, and good clean clothes, trying to smell good, look good, and polite. Three months after the uh, honeymoon, let's talk to that person again and see how it's going. Folks, the Bible is a very different book than most people think that it is. Jesus comes into town and there are two groups that are listening. It says in verse 17, therefore, uh, the people therefore that was with him when he raised Lazarus from the grave, and they bear record. So there were people in the crowd who had seen the miracle of the resurrection, not the resurrection, but the raising of Lazarus. People who had seen it. And the next verse says, And for this cause the people also met him, for that they heard that he had done his miracle. With people who had seen him. People heard about the miracle. And the Pharisees, the church, the rulers were falling apart. You see what's happening here? The whole world's going after this man. Now that's the event. That's the two kinds of audience that were at the event. But I want to talk to you about something else. 
I won't keep you long. 3, 3.30, 4 o'clock. You believe me, though. She said, in verse 20, it says, and certain Greeks among them that came to worship at the feast, and the same, therefore, the same came, therefore, to Philip, which was of Bethsaida, of Galilee, and desired him, saying, listen carefully, sir, very respectful, to, to one of the disciples, we would see Jesus. Why? Why would they want to see Jesus? There was a crowd there that saw him raise Lazarus from the dead, and there was another crowd who heard about it. These were either in one of those two crowds, apparently. They wanted to see Jesus. What makes them want to see Jesus? Well, let me ask you something. Oh, this is our theme today. I want to ask you something. Do you see him? Is he real to you? Can I say to you this morning, Jesus is more real than the person sitting next to you? Jesus is more real than this building and this planet? All of these things will go away and he will not. Do you see him? When I was a young boy, and, uh, and to my young preaching years, I was very puzzled with this idea of some people, some people seem to know this Jesus, and some people seem to know of him. And they all go to the same church. Some people talk about him like they just had breakfast with him. And other people act like he was a good thought. He's a nice man. Why, he did some good things for me, and I'm kind of grateful for that. And the question is, how grateful are you? But I've got to tell you, as I met people in my youth and got the ministry and other pastors, and this thing was so glaring all of a sudden, there are some people who seem to know him personally and others who just seem to know of it. I'm going to tell the story I've told several times, but I want you to hear this. Now, I did a funeral in Baldwin one day. I did a funeral in Baldwin one day, and I walked in the room, and this is impressive on several levels. I walked in the room, and I was the, uh, the preacher. A lady joined our church, joined our fellowship in Lawrence at the time. And her father passed away, and she asked me if I'd do his funeral. I said, I would. And so we met and talked about some things we'd like to have said. And uh, one of the parting statements she made to me was, he was in boot camp and in the same platoon as Elvis Presley. interesting. And she said every night, she said, I want you to know about three things. One thing is Elvis worked as hard as everybody else. He had his head shaved and he ran and he did calisthenics and he worked as hard as everyone else. And there was no favoritism and he wouldn't allow it if there was. Well, that's, a, that's a feather in his hat. And he said, these men that are going to be pallbearers with you, all of them were in that platoon. There were five. Now here's what's impressive. Four of them had on the uniform they wore in boot camp at 65, 70 years old. I can't wear the shirt I wore last Sunday to preach the gospel. Just because. Not my fault. That's impressive. I went in there and those people were dressed in the military garb, the, the outfit they had in boot camp. That's impressive, folks. But so here's what I said. I sat down with those people and I began to talk to them and I said, 
I'm the, I'm the one that's going to do the service today and how you doing? And I said, tell me some stories about him. And he told me stories about him. And he said every day at 7 o'clock or whatever it was, they blew the trumpet and it was everybody's free for the evening. They brought in bags of Elvis Presley mail. Bags and dumped on the floor. He said we'd all sit around and read stuff. And look what this woman said. Blah, blah, blah. One of them, they remember, all of them remember was one lady wrote a letter on a roll of toilet paper. The whole roll. Well, that takes some time. Wasteful of paper like that. And they were reminiscing. And they were all remembering and having a good time. And so, in my sermon that day, I said this. I didn't know Elvis. I know of him. Now, there are several people in this room who had a one-on-one -on -one relationship with Elvis Presley. A man pulled out his wallet, showed me a piece of paper that was so browned up with blue ink, it was a phone number, and he said, back in 1960-something, Elvis handed me that at a dinner we were at, and said, that's the phone next to my bed. You need something, you call me. It was a direct line to his bedroom, bed phone. Well, I said this. There are several men in the room, including the man who passed, who had a relationship with Elvis Presley. I never did. About three, about three uh, notes into a song, I can tell you that's Elvis. I know his voice. I know what he sounds like. He never spoke to me. And I'm afraid a lot of people in churches today, they know who Jesus is, but they don't know him. They know who he is. Heard a lot about him. Oh, he's been in the media. You know, he's been in movies. And I've heard about this Jesus. And I also believe a lot of people sitting in church today know suspicion that the Bible might be true. Is kind of highly suspect among many people. Can I tell you this? When the Lord returns, every crossing of the T and every dotting of the I is going to be more true than anything you've ever heard in your life. You believe that? You don't believe that. But I'm telling you this. Jesus came to town presenting himself as king and it wouldn't happen. He came to America. He came to America. Our forefathers brought him here. But he's been rejected. He's been largely rejected. I'm not saying there's not a good person in this town or this country. There's a lot of them. But man, the ones who hate him get the press. And for some reason we think we need to bow down to that stupidity. I don't understand it. But I want to ask you a question again this morning as we move on. Do you see Jesus? Is he real to you? Is he real to you? Well, these Greeks came. The Bible says that Jesus was called to the lost sheep of Israel. He was a minister unto the Jews. And the Greeks come. And his answer is fascinating. They come and they say, we, we want to see Jesus. And so his disciples go over to see Jesus. There's these Greek fellows over here want to see him. They don't want to see him. This, this guy they heard speaks of the temple as his own house. It's 
strange. Matter of fact, when he went in and cleansed the temple and ran out the money changers, and they left, by the way, all you people think Jesus was about half sissy. He made a whip and he ran them out and they left. They were glad to go. And then they were mad that he ran them out, but he did run them out. And he said, you've made my father's house a den of thieves. I'm not going to have it today. Not today. This would be the second cleansing. He cleansed the temple early in the ministry and he cleansed it right before the cross. And these Greeks had heard about that. He cleansed the temple. And by the way, it was the temple area for the Greeks. And this guy cleansed our temple, set things straight, set their teaching among the people. No one ran him out. He said he taught there for a, over a week. He sat there and taught the people while the children run around the background singing Hosanna. Hosanna to the son of David. Hosanna in the highest. Interesting. They heard that. They saw that maybe. He speaks of the temple in his own house. He calls God his own father. The children dance and cry out his name. He doesn't rebuke them. And he has a price on his head. The religious leaders want him dead. But he doesn't do anything different than he's been doing. He just moves freely among the people. And so when they ask to see him, what do you think his answer would be? He said, these fellows want to see you. Come on over. What do you want to talk about? What's your question? Everybody came to him before. He said, what's your question? The answer is so incredible. So life-changing if you understand it. He said he answered them, saying, the hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Truly, truly, verily, verily, I say unto you, listen carefully, except a corn of wheat, except a corn of wheat, the Bible says, a grain of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. I want to tell you something this morning about babies. They're all from God. Every single one. They're all from God. I want to tell you that I've been in the business I'm in and talked one-on-one -on -one with people for a long time now. A lot of people say to me, somewhere in the conversation, I was not planned. I said, what? I was not planned. Really? <laughs> and that makes you different how? Not planned and not wanted two different things. Not planned and not wanted is a tragedy. Very tragic. I'm the eighth born. You think I was a hot thing on the list? You think I was a... Maybe, I don't know. I'm the eighth born. Eighth born. I mean, I know they kept trying until they got it right. I understand that theory, but you know what? I'm not sure I was the best news my dad ever heard. If he wasn't, he never told me. I think my little sisters, I don't know what that's about. Why are you here? Why are you here? 
Do you believe with David? Do you believe with David, the psalmist, king of Israel, David, that we are fearfully and wonderfully made? Amen, and our brother. book was written before we were conceived? Think of that. David said, all my members were written in a book before my conception. The period was put on my life story before I was conceived by my parents. What, where's the mistake there? Where's the... What, why, why are unplanned and unwanted the same thing? They're not. And can I tell you something else? No mistakes. No mistakes. So many people I've met. They live a life of shame because of what they were told as children. Can I tell you something? That's wrong. That's, that's not even ignorance. That's darkness. Jesus comes and says, except a corn of wheat, except that thing which has a flesh covering, and at the heart of it lies life. Unless that thing falls into the ground and dies, it abides alone, but if it dies, it brings forth much fruit. It's not just about childbirth and women thinking they're going to die. It's about real death. In this, Christ gives the... It's a, it's a mysterious principle of life. Out of death comes life. And because God put that principle into play at the creation, and Jesus came and took on flesh, he came and obeyed his own principle. He died that life might come from his death. It is the death of Jesus Christ that saves us. It is the resurrection of Jesus Christ that saves us. It is the entire act. He came here to die. He came to die. And here's what you'll find when you read the scriptures. Jesus Christ came to die, and he said, if I do not die, you cannot live. And as the head goes, so the body goes. As is true of the head, so is true of the body. Jesus Christ came to die for us. How do we do that? What does that mean? What does that mean? It takes us right back to our original teaching. I read from Luke 9 and 23, and it says, And he said to them all, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. What do you have to do? To take up your cross. A daily death. A daily, Lord, here am I. What would you have me to do? Against the things I want to do. Against my motives. Against my agenda. What would you have me to do? Well, if you're going to take up your cross, you've got to do something else first. And that's deny yourself. Deny yourself. You have to say no to yourself. Yes to God. Take up your cross. My agenda dies, his agenda lives, and then follow him. And that's what Palm Sunday is a picture about. That's what next Sunday, Easter, we call it, but it's Resurrection Sunday. That's what it's about. The symbolism of next Sunday, next worship Sunday, is that Jesus broke free from all the pains of death and darkness 
and was set free to life and said this, follow me and I'll give you the same experience. Whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever will lose his life for my sake, the same shall save it. For what is a man advantaged if he gains the whole world and lose himself or be cast away? For whosoever shall be ashamed of me and my words, of him shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he shall come in his own glory in his fathers and of the holy angels. What's that talking about? Those are good verses. And uh, it's good to hear those things and sit quietly and respectfully and even worshipfully for about 30 minutes to an hour. But what does that mean this afternoon and tomorrow morning and Wednesday? You want to know why the church doesn't grow? You want to know the biggest hindrance to the church? It's Christians. The biggest hindrance to the church is Christians because people say, what do you believe? And when we sit back there and gleefully tell them, it doesn't add up with our life, and they don't want it. They've been fooled and snookered so many times, they don't want it. This is what we believe in our church. And you lay it out. You're having coffee. You're having lunch. And you say, this is what we believe in our church. And you act opposite of that. The biggest hindrance to the church growth, to the people coming to the kingdom of Jesus Christ, is Christians. I have no doubt about that. Because we don't understand the concept of dying to ourselves. What are arguments about? I know some couples who'd rather fuss than talk kind to each other. I know some couples who'd rather talk fussy and get on each other than enjoy each other's company. I don't understand that, but I know a lot of them. I don't know what that is. It's some kind of childishness that I don't quite understand, but it's, it's, a, it's a very prevalent thing in our world. Just don't want to be kind to each other. Don't want to compliment each other. Don't want to be nice for some reason. Want to sh point out shortcomings. Can I tell you this? If you want to get in a game of shortcoming exposure, your game will never end. Because we're human. We're frail. We're weak. But can I tell you this? What a compliment. What a, what a grateful heart. What a thank you will do. It's amazing. One of the most difficult things on this planet is for us to see ourselves as we look to others. We know what we think of ourselves. Paul talking to the Galatian church. Paul talking to the Galatian church. It's recorded in Galatians 2 and verse 20. And Paul says this, I am crucified with Christ. Remember? It's worth, it's worth memorizing. Paul said, and Jesus came, and there are seven I am's of Christ, and they are published everywhere, and every minister gets five of them a year. But there are seven I am's of Jesus. I'm the light of the world. I'm, just, I'm the door. I'm the good shepherd. I am, I am, I am. There are seven of those that Christ taught in his life. But people don't recognize it. Paul said it several times. He said, I am a debtor to all men. I am this, I am that. But the thing that gets me about Paul is he says this, I am crucified. I am. Not I was or I will be. Or He said, I am crucified with Christ. Ongoing. On, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. 
Is that right? That's the playing out of the whole scenario. This drama played out before all the world of Jesus Christ coming to the world, coming to die. The presentation of himself as the king, rejected by the people, taken to the cross. And you know what the hate was about? He loved too well. He was too good. He was just too good. He made the religious people look bad. And can I tell you this this morning? Religious people look bad. God never called anybody on this planet to a religion. All the people shoot me for that. I get all kinds of text and mail. And Jesus never called anybody on this world to a religion. He called them to a relationship. He didn't say go to a denomination. He said you come unto me. Now there's a difference. And if you don't get it, you're outside. He didn't say go to the denomination. I can't say this often enough from my own heart. This is a Baptist church. I could care less. I could not care less that we have a Baptist name. It's either the church of Jesus Christ teaches the word of God or it's not. Amen, brother. And if you want to come to a denomination and believe that their rules and save you and get you to heaven. There's a lot of people tell me from day to day. There's a lot of people who believe they're going to the right church. They're going to heaven. Their members there, they give some money there, a little bit of money that just keeps them in good standing. They do some things, they're in the, the uh, funds and the drives, and they do those things for that church, and they're in that particular denomination. And there's one that's huge, particularly that they tell me to my face. I'm in. They were born in. They cannot go to hell. Read Matthew 7 very carefully. Read Matthew 7 very carefully. There's a broad gate and a narrow gate. I used to read that and I was so glad when I understood it, but then I, then I got like this and I thought, well, can I get through the narrow gate? The narrow gate is a turnstile, one at a time. You don't go because your mother was a Christian. You don't go because your daddy was a preacher. You don't go because you give money to a church. You don't go because your name's on a roster. You don't go because you're good. You don't go. You go because you one time in your life hit your knees and said, God, save me. By the merit of Jesus Christ, paying for my sin with his blood. Take me home with you when you go, would you? Would you take me home when you go? I want to live with you. Jesus told his disciples just before he went to the garden, in my father's house are many mansions. In my father's house are many mansions. Listen to what he said. If it were not so, I would have told you. If that was a lie, he said, I would tell you that. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would tell I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go, I will come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, there you may be also. Praise the Lord. Isn't that something? Isn't, isn't the Lord something? Think about what he did. Before time began, in, in eternity past, in the committee of heaven as the creation was unfolding, the Father said to the Son, through the Holy Spirit, this. The Trinity got together with the meeting and said this. We're going to create man. But they're going to fall down. And God said, I don't want to have fellowship with people that have to be around me. I want fellowship with people who want to be around me. And that's as normal as it gets. And he said, there are people who are, and everybody's going to sin. There need to be a payment for that sin. We can't take dirty people into a clean place like heaven. And Jesus said, I'll pay it. 
The father said, really? They're going to pull your beard out. They're going to slap you in the mouth. They're going to take a cat of nine tails and they're going to cut you until your ribs are visible through your back flesh. Your lungs will be visible through your back flesh. Read Isaiah 52 and 3. Do it. You want to tell what you want? Father to Father. You know, I believe you'd do it if it was only me that would have answered the call. I believe he would have done it if it was only you. I believe he would have done everything he did for one soul. But it's his will that all would be saved. All would be saved. It's the Father's will that all would be saved. Isn't it interesting that unsaved people are working against the will of God? Pretty tough business. I am crucified with Christ. In that same passage, Paul said, I die daily. I die daily. Paul, why don't you go out and preach the gospel to that hostile group and they're going to beat you to almost death. And at one time they did stone him to death and the Lord raised him. Paul, why don't you go out there and preach the gospel to that hostile crowd and uh, you think Paul said, oh good. <laughs> All right. I'm going to be laying in a bloody bed by evening. Good deal. You know what he said? I'll go. Oh, they need you. Oh, they need to hear about the Lord. And there are at least two occasions in the Bible where Paul was preaching and they rushed him and he ended up in the medic bed and when he healed up he went back and finished the sermon. He went back to him and said, I have another point here. I only got two out the first time. I got a three point message. I want to tell you about salvation in Christ. Would you do that? Would you run back into the ambush and the fire to finish the message of Christ? Well, they want to see Jesus. Do you? John 12 and 25 here in this passage says this. He that loveth his life shall lose it, and he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. Romans 8.13 says, For if we live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if you live through the Spirit to mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. Colossians 3 and 4 says, When Christ who is our life shall appear, then ye shall also appear with him. Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth. Fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, covetousness, which is idolatry. For which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience, in which ye also walk sometime when ye lived in them. But things changed, didn't they? I want to end with this this morning. It says in the 26th verse of this chapter If any man serve me, let him follow me, and where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my Father honor. I can't hardly read that verse. Imagine being honored by God. People in this world live such silly, with silly motivations to be honored by this group or that group or be thought of in a certain way by certain folks. And they'll do a lot of strange things, in my opinion, to get that honor, to get that reputation. <coughs> if you live a life in this world caring what other people think of you, you're going to have a long, hard life. Because not only do they not think that of you, 
They're schizophrenic. They will think that of you today and not think that of you tomorrow. And then what do you do? You've got to try harder. It's not about that. The Lord said, if man serve me, think of that now. If we serve the Lord, God the Father will honor us. So I'm going to close with what that means to be honored by God. What does it mean? I want to see Jesus. Oh, we want to see Jesus. Would you let me see Jesus? And he says, except you die. Isn't that a message that would draw a crowd today? I want to see Jesus. And Jesus said, you need to die. The message of Jesus Christ is death to bring life. That's the principle. And so, how does God honor us? How does he uh, honor those who serve his son? And the Bible says, by allowing us to see him. I again restate this. I've been amazed in my lifetime of some people who seem to be very close to Jesus Christ and others who seem to be distant in their knowledge of him. Some people speak to you and you believe they just had fellowship with Jesus Christ. Other people speak to you like you don't want him at all, do you? You don't even know him. You know the right words to say, but you don't know Christ. Now from John 14 and 21, the Bible says, He, very carefully, I want you to hear this when we'll go home. He that hath my commandments and keepeth them. He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. And so I go around the church and to the members who come all the time and say this, do you love Jesus? Yes, I do. Do you love Jesus? Of course I do. Do you really love Jesus? Man, you know I do. Jesus said, they that love me keep my commandments. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him, and this is what it says, I will manifest myself unto him. The word manifest means make visible or to disclose. You know what he said? If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. If you keep my commandments, my Father will love you. And that love will be visible this way. You'll see me. You'll see me. And Judas said unto him, not a scared it, Lord, how is it that will manifest thyself unto us and not unto the world? And Jesus answered and said to him, if if a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. You want to know the difference between a house and a home? You want to know the difference between a family and some people living under the same roof? You want to know what the difference is between joy and just getting along? The manifest of Jesus Christ and the abiding of the Father and Son in that home. I went to court when I was younger. You've heard about it a million times. I was fighting for my family. At the end of it, the judge came to me. The judge walked over to me and she said, what is it with you? You don't seem to have any respect for the court. And I said, you got that straight. What else you want? She was, you don't seem to have any respect for judges. And I said, not many. Not many. 
Is that a bad thing to say? I said, I don't. I said, it's a game of cahoots, and you know it, and I know it, everybody I know knows it. And she said to me, why do you have this confidence then? Why? Because I knew my God. I knew God. And no matter what people were saying to me, and even the threats from the law, the legal side in the courts, you know what I said? God with me. Who can be against me? And it all came out all right, by the way. It came out okay. Now listen to this. How does God manifest himself? Numbers 14 and 23 is talking about Joshua and Caleb there and the fact that they were the two of the twelve that believed God. And he says this, Surely they shall not see the land which I swear unto their fathers, neither shall any of them that provoked me see it. But my servant Caleb, because he had another spirit in him, because he had another spirit in him, and had followed me fully, him will I bring into the land whereunto he went, and his seed shall possess it. Here's what happens when you follow Christ. When you say, I have an agenda, Lord, but you come to Christ and say this, I'll trade you with yours. Lord, you have a purpose for my life. You wrote a book before I was born. May I read it? May I be privileged to understand what you purpose for my life? Do you understand the word predestination means predestination? The destination before the journey began was completed. You cross the finish line when you were born, and the rest of your life plays out. This is not, this is not a popular message to people who don't love Christ. I get that. And I'm telling you this morning, if you read these verses and Jesus says, he that loves me, my Father will honor, but he is the one who loves me, is the one who keeps my commandments, and you're living like the rest of the world, and you like that world, and you want to be in that world, and you're getting complimented because of the things you're doing in that world, and you want to live that way? Help yourself. But know this, you'll not be honored by God, nor be happy of soul. You will be miserable. Miserable. Jesus said, Jesus said this, I want you to hear it and we'll go home. Oh, I know you're happy about that. He raised Lazarus. And before he raised Lazarus, he talked to his sisters. They grew up together. And it says, Jesus said when he got to the tomb of Lazarus, take away the stone. Take away the stone. And Martha, his sister, said, Lord, by this time he stinketh. It's been four days and the body has to smell bad. It's rotting in there. That's my brother. He's been dead four days. Lord, don't do this. And Jesus said unto her, Said I not unto thee, If thou wouldest believe, thou shouldst see the glory of God. How do we see him? Believe him. Believe him. That's how we see him. You know what the world taught me growing up? 
Seeing is believing. You know what Jesus said? Believing is seeing. Very different. Very different. You know what's real? Do you know what's real? What you believe is real. You argue with somebody who believes something that you know is wrong and you can't change your mind when they believe it. And Jesus said, that's what I want you to do with me. You believe me. Trust me. And then you'll see it. He doesn't do, he's not, he's not a carnival worker and he doesn't perform sideshows so people believe in him. He said, I'm not going to do tricks so you'll believe in me. He said, if you believe in me and I'll show you who I am. Is that right or not, Christian people? You believe in him and he'll show you who he is. Amen, brother. Ten-year-old heart of a little boy believed him. Ten-year-old heart of a little boy believed him. Fifty-three years ago, and I want to tell you something. He showed himself to me again and again and again. He shows himself to me again and again. You know how he does it? He's faithful to his promises. If I, the conditional promises, if you do this, I'll do that. Tired of hearing that? You better get asbestos clothes because it's coming, folks. The Lord's coming back. You love him? Or is he a burden to you? Is church not as fun as social media? Is the Bible not as interesting as television, movies, videos? Is it just like, man, if I had to sit down with that for an hour, that'd be the longest hour of my life. You will have all of eternity to think about it. That wasted time of knowing this Savior who said this. You're a sinner, and my blood paid the price. Come unto me, and I'll take you home with me to paradise forever. I know one thing. I can't talk anybody into it, and if I could, they could be talked out of it. But if the Holy Spirit get a hold of you, you'll be saved. He'll save you. Can I be saved when I go to church? If you want to. Can I be saved in sin if you want to? Are there sinners out there? Are there people out there that are Christians living like unsaved people? You better believe it. Are they happy? No, and the Lord said, I'll take you home soon. If you're going to act like that, every parent said, you act like that, I'm going to just take you home. That's what the Lord says. Do you love him this morning? Don't you love him? Well, he loves you. Father, we thank you now for this hour. We thank you for the time, we thank you for the word, and we just ask that your Holy Spirit would move and convict hearts. Teach us who you are, that we might know truly who we are. Help us to know your purpose, your gifts, your calling, that we might do that thing in our lifetime we are sent here to do, whatever it is. Father, thank you for Jesus coming. Thank you for his desire to save mankind, even though it cost him everything. Thank you now for the Savior that would call us, that whosoever will may come. Go with us now. Let the word penetrate our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.